Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you this morning. I wonder whether you've ever had this experience. You've been using a bit of tech, like a, I don't know, a PC or a Mac or something like that. And over time, it gets slower and slower. And you kind of think, I need to do something about this. So as a last resort, you get the manual out. Or you go and download that. And you're kind of thinking, what I need to do is a factory reset, right? I need to hit the default button, because there's all of this stuff that has got in the way. There's all of these distractions and stuff. I need to hit the default button. As I was thinking about that in the week, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a default button in the back of our necks? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, you could just, like, hit that, and um, all of the stuff and all of the distractions would go away. And it raises the question, what are the default settings for our lives? You know, what are the default settings around human relationships and sexuality and parenting and doing well as a single person and raising kids, handling money. Good news this morning, there is one. It's this book. Another question as we start this new series, what is the default setting in terms of hearing God speak to us? What is the default? So is it that God doesn't speak anymore? Is it that we would maybe just hear him occasionally. Maybe God does speak, but it's just to special people, right? Holy people, not people like us. What's the default setting? Good news, Jesus tells us. John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about the way that he's the good shepherd, and he likens people like you and I to sheep. And he says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So my simple belief is, is that every one of us is created to hear God. And actually, I'd suggest to us this morning that we're created to hear way more than any of us does right now. Way more. And it's actually central to following Jesus. So Pete Gregg, um, the author of the book that we're pointing towards alongside this series, he, um, he writes this. He says, learning to hear God's voice, his word, and his whisper is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do. I'm not exaggerating. Hearing God is not peripheral. It is integral to human history. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a statement. Following Jesus, I I think I'd concur with it. Following Jesus is only possible if we can hear God's voice. Otherwise, we don't know where we're going. It's only possible if we can hear his voice. The challenge for us is that other stuff gets in the way. Maybe, you know, it's a, it's a lack of belief that we think, well, God doesn't speak to somebody like me. Or maybe we feel like we, do, we don't hear him very much. Or there's so much noise and busyness in our world. There are so many competing voices. Friends, it's time for the default button. That's a part of this series, that we hit the default button, and we get back to how things were supposed to be, the way that we are created to hear God's voice way more than any of us do right now. So, welcome to the new series, How to Hear God. This is absolutely central if you want to do well as a follower of Jesus. Over the next six weeks, we're going to explore some of the primary ways that God speaks to us, and Amelia's already kind of flagged up the key ways to do that. Grab the book, Come along to hear Pete Gregg. Come along each Sunday. Make sure that you are part 
of a small group. The journey that we're going on, we're going to use a wonderful story in Luke chapter 24 as a framework, as a guide for our journey. It's a beautiful story. It's often called the Road to Emmaus story. Two guys find they're walking with Jesus. It is a story that is incredibly packed. And we're just going to go along, skate along the surface in these six weeks. Uh, many of you have heard of a theologian called Tom Wright. He, he, talking about this story, he says, learn to live inside this story and you will find it inexhaustible. And I think he's right. So my encouragement to you, why don't you this week just take some time, probably at the beginning of the day, and just read the story again and again and again, would you find yourself in it? Because it is inexhaustible. So I'm going to read the whole story today from Luke chapter 24. If you want to follow along, grab your Bible, grab your phone. The words will come up on the screen. I'm going to read from verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. My first, first pause. That same day, this is the first Easter Sunday. Okay, so just so that we picture, Jesus has died on the cross two days before. We now find ourselves on the first Easter Sunday. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there these days? My second pause. We don't know a whole bunch about these two people that are walking on the road to Emmaus. We know one of them is called Cleopas. Let me just speculate a moment. In John chapter 19, you find reference to a bunch of women stood at the foot of the cross. One of them was called Mary, whose husband was Clopas. And there's quite a lot of academic thought that actually thinks that Clopas and Cleopas are the same person. So it is entirely possible that one of the women stood at the foot of the cross was Cleopas's or Clopas's wife. And it is entirely possible that these two people walking along the road were Clopas, Cleopas, and his wife Mary, who had been a very close eyewitness to the crucifixion. Do you understand why they're so downcast? She was right there, if that's the case. Okay? Picking up the story. Where am I? Verse 19, I think. What things, he asked. This is Jesus teasing them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they did, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. It's communion. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's a stunning story, isn't it? Stunning story. Just a short story, but we see at least five ways that God speaks to us. He speaks conversationally. They were chatting. Exegetically through scripture. Sacramentally through the breaking of bread prophetically as their eyes were opened, and inwardly, directly as their hearts burned. But the ultimate way that God speaks to us is through Jesus. He's the living word, the true word, the eternal word, the wise word, the loving word, the first word, the last word. Jesus. Amen? If I was a better preacher, I'd have got an amen spontaneously at that point. It's Jesus, the living word of God. I'm going to share today about God's word in Scripture. I'm going to focus in on just one verse, verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. This is the mother of all Bible studies. Like, when I, when I get to heaven, I, I don't know what heaven's entirely going to be like. I don't know whether we're, I'll ask this question. But if we can ask a question, I'm going to say, where's the box set of that? Because I, I want to watch that one. Would you? I want to watch that one. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Now, there is a branch of philosophy called epistemology. And what that means is, how do we get to know what we know? How do we get to know what we know? Really big question. Our world is full of information. I looked this up in the week. Apparently, every day, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are created. And you might just say, this phone has got a memory of 65 gigabytes. That means that 200 million phone capacities like this is filled up every day. That is a lot of data. Can we trust it? Is that where you get to know what you know through what you watch, through what you listen to, through what you digest, all of that data? Is that how we get to know what we know? Do we get it from our cultural beliefs and traditions? Do we, do we, is that how we get to know what we know? Do we just trust what feels right? Well, that's a popular thing right now. If it feels right, do it. You know, do, we, do we trust that? Let me just follow that tangent. Have you, our emotions are incredibly untrustworthy, aren't they? Don't, don't trust that. Don't trust that. How do we get to know what we know? If you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian... The Bible is ultimately how we get to know 
what we know. And the question is, can we trust it? Yeah. Why? There's a whole lot of reasons that you can go into around the, the, the textual accuracy, you know, ancient scripts and all of that. But here's one reason. We can trust Scripture because Jesus does. We can trust it because Jesus does. You see, Jesus draws alongside these two downhearted, discombobulated disciples. And in order to help them get insight and perspective and hope and faith, what he does is he opens up the Scriptures to them. In the Western world, the we live in right now. The authority of Scripture is often undermined. And it is undermined, including in some sections of the church. You may have heard stuff on the media recently. But I want to tell us this morning, it's not undermined by Jesus. He loves and trusts Scripture. And that's a really important for us. We've always said in the vineyard, you know, whenever we're thinking about anything, what does the Bible say? That, that's our big question. So if you think about, what does the Bible say about marriage? Or, or what, what do I think about marriage? Well, what does the Bible say? What, what do, how, how can I live really well as a single person? Well, what does the Bible say? How can I raise kids really well? Well, what does the Bible say? And, and here's one that I'm just going to throw in towards us. How are we going to think about challenging issues like same-sex relationships in our world right now? How are we going to think about that? I think it's really important that we engage with our culture and our society, but at the same time, we choose not to be shaped by the culture and society that we live in. Rather, we choose to be shaped by Jesus Christ. So for thousands of years, God's people have stood at odds with society in matters of sexuality. And I want to suggest to us that 2023 is no different. So what that means is, is that we choose radical discipleship, empowered by the Holy Spirit, shaped by Jesus Christ, and at the same time, we embrace radical welcome. Radical discipleship and radical welcome. Not one or the other, it's a both-and thing. Radical discipleship and radical welcome simply because we all need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, for me, I started reading the Bible at a fairly early age. This is my first Bible. You can probably track my age. It's got these pretty psychedelic stickers in it. So this pitches it at about the mid-70s, right? So you can do the maths as how old I am, but I'm not going to share one thing that I've found in my 40-plus years of reading Scripture is that I need someone to help guide me through it. And I need someone to help me apply Scripture into my life. Now, Bible commentaries are good. Bible teachers are good. But who is the ultimate guide to Scripture? Jesus. Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus is our ultimate guide to scripture. You see, seven mile walk, how long is that going to take? Two to three hours? He unpacks the whole of the Old Testament scripture to these two disciples on the road. But he does so in a radical new way. 
What Jesus does is he shows them how all of Scripture points to himself. Did you notice that? How all of Scripture, it's like all roads are going to lead to Jesus, scripturally. All roads lead to him. Pete Gregg, in his book, um, writes it this way. He says, Jesus takes considerable time to to deliver a lengthy biblical exposition in which he reinterprets God's word radically in the light of his own death, sorry, life, death, and resurrection. The approach, the Christological hermeneutic, that's a complex word. That basically means the way that we're going to understand and apply God's word is through a Christological, a Christ-centered filter, a Christ at the middle way. How we're going to understand and interpret it. The, the Christological hermeneutic can help you with the tricky business of hearing God's voice through the Bible and of making sense of its meaning in your life today. One of the things that that means is that we read the Old Testament through the light of the New Testament. So as we read the Old Testament, we ask the question, how am I going to understand this? Is there something, for instance, in the New Testament that sheds light on what I'm reading? Is there something that the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul wrote that could help me to understand this? And do I trust them? And then we turn the heat up. Is there something that Jesus said that can help me to understand Scripture? And do I trust him? That's what it comes down to. So we read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. And so here's just an example of how this works out in practice. It is relatively easy to make a justification for violence and war and nationalism based purely on an Old Testament reading of Scripture. You don't have to go very far around our world till you find that. It's about 3,000 miles west. It's much harder to do when those Old Testament passages are seen through the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. So, for example, Jesus says, love your enemies. He rebukes violence. Do you remember that moment in the garden just before Jesus was arrested? One of his disciples, Peter, gets out a sword and lops the guy's ear off. And Jesus says, no. And he heals the guy's ear. Do you see the way in which we, Jesus radically reinterprets what's going on? Jesus is the ultimate guide to Scripture. And he does so for us in the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And there is a place where he always leads to. There is a place where Scripture always leads to. Let me just fast forward the story very quickly. They come to their end of the walk. Jesus looks as if he's going to carry on. And these two say to him, no, come and have dinner with us. And so Jesus stops with them for dinner. And there's this beautiful moment, which is just like a a very loud echo of the Passover meal. He takes bread. He gives thanks, he breaks it and gives it to them. So there's this communion. And then they, they recognize who he is, and then he's gone. And then they said this, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Third thing I want to share this morning. Scripture 
leads to an encounter with Jesus. That's where it heads. Scripture leads to an encounter with Jesus. You've probably heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Great Christian author, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was only one of them. There were lots of other books. He put it this way. It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. That's where it leads. There's a time when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of the day. You'll find it in John chapter 5. And he said this to them. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Surveys show in the UK that around about one in three evangelical, Bible-believing, active faith Christians will read the Bible every day. One in three. Which means that two in three don't. So not to put anybody on the spot, if you read the Bible every day, the person sat on your right and your left statistically doesn't. I'm good at maths, me. If we want to hear God speaking to us, and given that Scripture is probably the primary way that he does so, there's a really obvious thing that we need to be doing, right? This book is precious, because this book leads us to the presence of Jesus. So would you be someone that opens this every day? And my encouragement to you, that there's no right or wrong time in the day, but I would encourage you to do it first thing. So that Scripture shapes your day rather than it being a footnote to your day. Let, 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 this, let this word shape your life. Now, in the small groups this week, we're going to explore a powerful tool that helps us to hear God more and to encounter his presence more through Scripture. We're going to hear from this amazing lady called Sister Mary. She's the one on the right, just in case you were confused. She's been using this devotional tool for 20-plus years, and you're going to hear her experience of encountering Jesus through Scripture. So please don't miss out on that. I'm going to close just by sharing... Um, a story from my life about, you know, just one of the examples of how this has impacted me. Just a personal encounter with Jesus through Scripture. I remember being part of a, a leadership and theology training course that was run here at Riverside back in sort of the mid to late 90s. So I'm, I'm going back. God has spoken to me since then, just so that we're clear. As part of that, we were looking at an account that you find in Acts Gospel, Acts chapter 15. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. And basically what was happening, because the good news of Jesus was going out beyond Jewish communities into Gentile communities, they were kind of thinking like, what do we do with this? Like, how, how, how are we going to deal with things like circumcision and, and the food that we eat? And so they gathered the very wise people together. And they're kind of like, how are we going to deal with this? And in the midst of that that kind of conversation, 
a guy called James, one of the apostles, stands up, and you'll find this in Acts chapter 15 and verse 19, and he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, do all that we can to help people find Jesus. Don't water down the gospel, but make things like church really accessible and really welcoming because Jesus is the most welcoming person that's ever walked the face of this planet. So make it like him. That's the way that I heard it. And in that moment, my heart burned within me. So those of you that know me will know that I am passionate about welcome. I'm passionate about us being a welcoming church, a welcoming community of faith. And as I look back on my life, much of it was birthed in that moment in the mid-90s because my heart burned within me. Scripture hit me. But it wasn't just Scripture that hit me. It was the presence of Jesus through Scripture that hit me. Friends, that's what Scripture does. Scripture is the way that we hear the heart and the voice of God, and it's the way that we meet Jesus, one of the primary ways that we're going to meet Jesus in this life. So, love this book, friends. Would you do that?